I've come to the conclusion that mediocre. Wow! You guys aren't kidding around, are you? You know, for the last, I mean, I was going to say last couple months, but really, as long as we've been doing this podcast and my videos and books, one of the biggest questions we get is Colin, Colin, you need a solution. Colin, Colin, you got to do something. You got to do this. You got to do that. The knockout game. I was always content just to sit back and do my stories, do my videos, and give you guys the ammunition to help you do whatever you wanted to do. And I thought that was enough. Well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I know this. In the last couple weeks, we're in the darkest period of the greatest lie of our generation. All-time highs in denial, deceit, and delusion. We're going to give you a couple examples here in a minute. All you're going to do is make the black kids. All-time high, talking about violence by cops. All-time highs, white people attacking black people. All lies, all repeated uncritically all offered without an opposing point of view. All-time highs. We All of us see it here every day. And you guys are telling me you see it. And you're telling me we got to do something about that. Always getting picked up for no reason whatsoever. That explains... Less than 20, about 24 hours ago, I sent out... I posted something on Twitter. I posted something at Minds.com. And I sent out an email just saying... Wow, not only is this denial, deceit, and delusion at an all-time high, the appetite for us to get together and take a direct action to draw attention to this, especially draw attention to the, the, the enormous level of black crime and the tsunami of victims this tidal wave of black criminality has left in its wake. Nobody's talking about that. People are denying it even exists. Every day, all we hear about is black victims, black victims, black victims of white racism. Well, it's systemic racism. It's institutional racism. Well, you, can, can you give me some examples? Yeah, Colin, every time I go down the street, I see white people looking at me funny. No, can you give me any examples that don't involve you reading people's minds? Yeah, Colin, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and that's when Emmett Till was born. Can you give me any examples of what you're going through right now? Yeah, Colin, want to walk? No, no. <laughs> examples that don't involve mind reading. That don't involve mind reading? Uh, I'll get back to you on that one, Colin. Damn, the guys at NPR, they always let us do the mind reading thing. How come you don't? Come down to a chocolate city. All the public schools are fine. Yeah, because we like real stories here, not fantasies. And so everybody was telling me, like, they see that happening all the time. They want to do something. So I put out a tweet. Uh, so the stuff I put out said, hey, why don't we take direct action? Why don't we take direct action that will draw attention to the victims? Why don't we take direct action? That might get us arrested. In the city, in our Even though the fellows have been doing the same thing, have not been getting arrested. No, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to do it within two weeks. I'm not going to tell you until we get closer to the event. We're going to do something in or around Wilmington, Delaware. So if you live anywhere near here, get your butt down here. I don't care how long it takes you to get here. Get here. Bring a car. That's all I'm going to tell you. Bring a car. Uh, anyway, so I'm very gratified 
with the response. We've got a response from all over the world. Most of them sound kind of like this. Colin, been a huge fan of yours since I stumbled across your YouTube presentations and podcasts. Many businesses in my area are closing early and some are boarded up or temporarily closed since Mr. Floyd will be laid to rest in his golden casket just outside of the Houston city limits in my town of Pearl Land. The police are already closing roads and have assured the community that it will be an all-hands-on-deck approach for the next two days. I myself will be protecting my business, in which I have invested significantly. Earlier this morning, 40 to 50 rounds were fired at the Houston Police Department, Southeast Command Station, just a few miles from where I live. I pray that this private interment of the Golden Casket will not turn into an angry mob, but it's hard to know. I will be ready. With that said, whatever I can do to help you and your mission, whatever I can do to help you with your mysterious gathering that's going to draw attention to all this white uh, bl black criminality and 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 victimization all over the country please let me know many thanks and blessings to you signed blank down there near houston so that's that's one version of the letter i, I got another letter from people saying yeah we want to be there we're from ohio but and, and would it be too much to ask if you could remember our our nephew a bunch of fellas robbed him and shot him in the head two years ago. We would like to remember him. Man, I would love to hear these stories from family members just like that. And if you guys want to come, we'll, we'll have a megaphone. We'll have a place for people to talk. If you want to come tell your story, wow, we would just love to have you come and tell it. Anyway, here's another letter. I got a kick. I got about five or ten of these all over the world. I got, let me see, we got them from Netherlands. Got them from Russia, got them from Taiwan, Thailand, Colombia. Here's one from the Netherlands. Hey, Colin, I'm curious, I'm curious what plan you are cooking up. I'm not sure if my location is a problem. I live in the Netherlands, but I'm ready for direct action. Maybe more than most, I would love to live in a, in a society that gets along well. The mother of my kids, we are not in a relationship anymore for about four years, is a lovely lady. I think that means she's a black woman. Buried in self-pity with hate towards whites in our society. Hidden under a friendly face. Because of slavery. She agrees with a lot of Black Lives Matter. You get the picture. Talking racial issues out with her is not an option. She will explode, shut her ears, and open her mouth. Through your videos, I somehow got to understand her better. And slowly feel more at peace with myself starting to accept she's just who she is and is not going to change. In a way, I substitute talking with her with your videos. Thanks for helping me forward, however unknowingly. It would be an honor to be one of your minions. I kind of owe you one. Sign, Michael over in the Netherlands. Boy, Michael, everybody has this dream of just living in a, a, a much more relaxed place where people are not accusing us of stuff we haven't done, where people are making up stories about us and saying we are somehow responsible for something that never happened to them, that we never had anything to do with at any rate. So anyway, if you want to be a part of this little party that we're talking about, 
send me an email, colin at colinflaherty.com. A lot of people are saying, listen, Colin, we'll send you a few ducats to help you pay for whatever you got to pay for that day. Uh, we can't be there. We live in California or something. Other people are saying they're going to come to this thing from very far away. So send me your email so I can just get you on the list. We can keep you posted what we're doing. Colin at colinflaherty.com. And uh, let's keep our fingers crossed because we're going to bring some attention to these victims of black crime violence and dysfunction we're going to tell the we're going to tell the world in a public place what the media just is in denial deceit and delusion about about all the victims of black crime and violence so wildly out of proportion that's what we're going to do man and thank you all the hundreds and hundreds of people who sent me emails and and all the thousands of people who watched the video on twitter and the hundreds and hundreds of people who have retweeted it they're leaving comments. I've never had this much action so quickly on a video on Twitter before. And I've had some big ones on Twitter. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's see how this works out. And uh, I think we're going to have some fun. I think we're going to change the world. Looking forward to doing that with you. Stay tuned. Let's get back to the real world. No, I should say, let's get back to the fantasy world. So this morning... Listening to NPR, I don't know why I was. Glad I did. And they have a story about George Floyd. And he's being buried. Well, let me see. I guess he's being buried yesterday, as you hear this, on a Tuesday. And so we know, we know about, I mean, anybody who cares to know, know what George Floyd was like. We know he was a hardened criminal. We know he spent five years, he was in prison for five years, some people say he was in there more than once. Did a home invasion robbery, stuck a gun in a pregnant woman's stomach. We know he left Houston to go up to Minneapolis. Just to get away from the bad influences of Houston. Gets up in Houston, starts doing methamphetamine, fentanyl, starts passing funny money, counterfeit bills. Next thing you know, he's the most famous guy in the world, however, temporarily. Whatever happened to George Floyd, it'll I'm I'm quite happy to let it work its way out in the court till we hear exactly what happened. Those in charge of the denial, deceit, and delusion have decided that's not enough for them. They're going to try to turn this hardened criminal into a saint. I mean, it was kind of easy to do with Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, St. Michael Brown of Ferguson, because they were both so young. We could lie our asses off about what they both wanted to do with their lives. You know, Trayvon... Wanted to be an astronaut. This guy, Michael Brown, he wanted to be a doctor, whatever. There was so much denial, deceit, and delusion about who these guys were and what they, you know, what their dreams were that people felt like they could just repeat it without any regard for the truth. But that's harder to do with George Floyd because he's a, he's a grown-ass man. And this grown-ass man has been in trouble with the law his whole life. Right after he died... I saw a story in Christianity Today that starts, that began the myth-making around George Floyd. How what a great guy he was. How everybody loved him in Houston. How he was a, a church-going man, godly man. That's a little bit different story than what you get from his police record. I know, I know. Okay, we're not going to judge this guy from the worst thing he ever did. His whole life by the worst thing he ever did. It only took 10 minutes. Yeah, I know, I know. The action in a football game only takes three minutes. It's a 60-minute game. They're only blocking and tackling for a total of three minutes. And so we're not going to judge that team on what they do for the other 57 minutes, are we? So 
Anyway, so NPR, everybody's in on the myth-making now. I saw Kimberly Guilfoyle the other day. She took the Christianity Today story, hook, line, and sinker. I think she called him a holy and a spiritual man or something like that. This is Kimberly Guilfoyle, Don Trump's junior's main squeeze. A reliable from Fox News. Now, all of a sudden, she can't say enough things about a hardened convict who died in police custody while in custody for committing a felony. Yeah, passing funny money around. Sorry to tell you, that's a felony. But it's hard, but I'm glad, I'm so glad the NPR did their own version of this Christianity Today story. How they paint, they're going to paint him with these gauzy, you know, through the gauze, through these rose colored glasses, virtually unrecognizable from the real person that he was and is, but so important if we're going to engender sympathy for Mr. George Floyd. We can't have everybody thinking about his real life, his life as a convict. We have to get them thinking that he was some kind of altar boy who was just getting his life together. Floyd will be laid to rest this week. He was the black man killed by a white police officer in Minneapolis. There have been nationwide protests over his death and others, calls for justice and an end to police brutality against black people. Houston was Floyd's hometown. He lived here until he moved to Minneapolis some years ago. And now the reason we are here in Houston is to learn about George Floyd's life, who he was, what he meant to people. And this is one person who knew him. All right, y'all, we're going to circle up. We're going to circle up. Pastor Patrick P.T. Nguolo was holding an outdoor church service yesterday morning in Houston's historically black Third Ward neighborhood. That is where George Floyd grew up. Guys, we... Trouble, Lord, the death of our brother, God, has reverberated around the world. And so, Lord, we come, God, just uh, wanting to voice uh, our grief and our anger, uh, but also, God, wanting to hear hope from you. So a couple dozen people were gathered around the pastor on a basketball court. It's right in the center of a public housing project that residents fondly call the Bricks. They're two-story red brick apartment buildings. Floyd spent a lot of time here playing basketball, meeting friends, also encouraging neighbors to seek guidance through God. Often he would be the one to set up tubs for community baptisms. In order for us to like do church heat, would bring chairs out here and um, put baptism tubs out. Man, just things that, man, you know, I, even at that age, I didn't want to move no tub by myself. I usually put it on a little, uh, a dolly and move it. But He would it, carry the tub out here to the, to the bathroom? Yeah, man, that dude was strong, man. Floyd is, is, yeah, he's a phenom. Floyd was fiercely protective of this community, people told us. They looked up to him for guidance about who could be trusted. The pastor was seen as an outsider before Big Floyd, as everyone called him here, brought him in. He was instrumental in making sure that we were safe. Usually, if you're not from these square walls, you can't enter the bricks. I'm not from here. I'm not a brick boy. And so in order for you to have a stamp of approval, you need somebody to embrace you, OGs, if you will, to embrace you, 
and say, hey, they're good. They're not coming here to make trouble. They're not going to stop whatever you're doing. They're good with us. And so that was the kind of stamp that he gave us because he's loved, admired, as you can see, respected by the people in his neighborhood. Floyd is remembered here as someone who was on a path wanting change for himself and also for others. And that's why they say they want to fight for that now. And I should say people here have already been moved to action. After the church service ended here yesterday morning, some of Floyd's friends were setting up tables on that very same basketball court, and they were about to register voters. So when you're a reporter of any kind, really, from the smallest paper up to the biggest radio network, the most influential radio network, one of them, NPR, okay, so your bosses and your colleagues, they're going to keep you straight. They're going to make you report the news. As it actually occurs, at least that's the way it used to be. But there's always one backstop. Whatever you could sneak past your editor, whatever you could sneak past the other guys in the newsroom, if you're writing for a big publication with hundreds of thousands of subscribers, millions of readers, millions of listeners, millions of viewers, I think in theory, the idea is you don't have as much flexibility to be, shall we say, creative. Because, man, that's a lot of people. If you make a mistake, people are just going to jump on you and it's going to be embarrassing and you're not going to be able to hold your head up anymore because for a reporter, the worst thing you could do is to get it wrong. If you decide off the bat you want to paint this nefarious dude as, as, a, as a good guy, a nice guy, okay, that's fine. But you got to get it right. And these guys aren't getting it right. And I thought... In the old days, maybe people would have been a little embarrassed by that. Maybe, oh yeah, people would have lost jobs for that. Apparently not anymore. Now, there's only one way to lose a job today in journalism, and that is to not be woke. I mean, there's three stories in the news right now. See, you know, you know the biggest story in every town, the biggest unreported story in every town is what happens in the most powerful institution in that town. I'm talking about your daily newspapers and your local TV station, your local network affiliates. Nobody knows what goes on inside these places. They're like big black holes. You just, nothing comes out except what they want us to know about the news of the day. We don't know anything about them. I remember reading a story out of a newspaper in Las Vegas May have been out there on a, you know, taking care of some recreational pursuits. Anyway, big story about Oscar Goodman, the then mayor of Las Vegas. He was kind of one of these lovable rogues, a defense lawyer. He defended people in the mob, and he, you know, he defended other high-profile people. Oh, uh, anyway, so he became a mayor, and I don't think he was taking the job all that seriously because the paper did a story about how he's having fun doing this, having fun doing that. And now every day at four o'clock, they said, you can find him at that bar drinking this drink, some kind of martini or gin tonic thing, with these showgirls every day. I mean, that's how much we know. I mean, we knew where he went to college. We knew what kind of grades he got. We knew if or he went to church or not, knew his, what his wife thought about him partying with the showgirls all the time. We know the whole thing. But what do you know about your, what do you know about your, your newspaper editor, your newspaper reporter. What do you know about your TV news anchor? We don't know anything about them unless it's by accident. We don't know a thing about them. So so lately, so when then something does slip out about them, when we pull the curtain back on these 
really dark and secretive institutions and we learn a little bit about them even by accident it's always to me very illuminating why don't we start up in new york city james bennett former former just gave away the story editor of the new york times op-ed opinion editorial pages he's the one who was in charge when they signed off on the senator tom cotton commentary so you probably heard about this controversy cotton is a republican senator from arkansas who said um yeah we ought to put the military on the streets it's been done before let's do it again okay you know not that big of a deal people in the new york times newsroom went crazy they started tweeting out the same thing this editorial is going to get black new york times staffers killed all right whatever Then all of a sudden, there was a lot of pushback from inside the edit. The people who run the paper first saying, yeah, we, it was a fine editorial. We don't have to agree with it. We like to have a diversity of opinion. That fiction lasted about 10 minutes when the publisher came out and said, no, I don't like that anymore. The editor of the paper came out and said, no, I changed my mind. We really shouldn't have done that. It didn't really live up to our standards, at which point Senator Cotton reminded everybody that you weren't worried about standards when you ran an op-ed on the exact same pages, reminding everybody that pedophilia should not be a crime. It should just be a, a some kind of like social disorder. So anyway, Bennett kept getting all the grief, the, the guy who was supposed to be in charge of that page. It's interesting. I mean, they don't run that many op-eds on that page, right? couple of day said later on he didn't even read it i mean the guy is so damn busy he can't even read somebody sending it somebody you're about to publish six seven eight hundred words you can't even read that op-ed you have to pick up your own paper and read it there wow you know i've had i've had stuff published on the op-ed pages of the new york times not under my name under other people's names and cotton you know i saw a story about cotton talked about how many hoops they make you jump through, how they make you document and they fact check even the most ridiculous things. You know, if you say something like, in eight billion years, the earth is going to be a big ice ball rotating around the sun. You know, so why, you know, so let's not make it too big of a deal of this. Well, the New York Times fact checkers, if they don't like the thrust of your piece, they'll come in and make you document, uh, like, They'll make you document. Well, how do you know it's going to be an ice ball in 8 billion years? How do you know it's just not going to be like a slushy, a warm slushy ball? And so they put cotton through the same thing. But here's what goes on. Basically, it's like sometimes you can just tell people to cram it, but they're definitely, you know, they definitely see when you're making a conservative point or an NPR does the exact same thing, by the way, when you're on their, uh, on their airwaves, when you have a commentary for them. Well, they see, you know, you're kind of making a good point. They'll fact check that and they'll make you explain it and they'll surround it with lots more words. They basically mush it all up. And that's what they were doing to Cotton. Even so, didn't make any difference. Uh, we just got word that the editor of the New York Times page, Trump said he, uh, uh, he walked out of the newsroom. I don't know if he walked out, if he ran out. I don't know if he got run out on a rail. I don't know if he got tarred and feathered and thrown down an elevator shaft, some combination of the above. And now they've got, they took, they, he, 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 and I think his deputy got kicked, got fired too. Was They sent his deputy back to the newsroom. Now they've got some woman in there who's very comfortable writing about black victimization and white racism all the time, everywhere that explains everything. And so, 
you know, we're basically going to shut down any small, any small hope, any small chance of any kind of intellectual diversity on those pages has just gone away because everything is going to get black people killed. Silence is violence. Haven't you heard? Two quick other stories out of Philadelphia. Uh, a week or so ago, the editor of the Philadelphia, Inqu- the Philadelphia Inquirer slash Daily News, one paper, hemorrhaging cash, one paper, they ran a headline, front page headline that said, Buildings Matter. Oh, man, everybody at the paper, the fellas and lovely ladies at the paper went nuts. They signed a letter. They did a sick out day. They said, you know, how dare you make fun of Black Lives Matter? How dare you do that? Silence is violence. Yeah, the, whole, the editor of the whole damn paper had to quit. You know, it's really, it's, it's, so I read all the articles from everybody saying how upset they were at the Philadelphia Inquirer for this, you know, act of journalistic malpractice to be, you know, to have happened. I didn't see anybody acknowledge that the paper is teetering on the edge of solvency. How, how people aren't reading the paper, people aren't depending upon it for information. In the middle of that, the people decide they don't like their editor. Let's get rid of him and uh, because he's not pro-black enough. Okay, whatever. Go out to Pittsburgh. They had a reporter out in Pittsburgh. The editor decided it was too down with the cause, too much down with the cause. Told one, told one reporter he did not, black reporter, he did not want him covering the riots because he was too liberal along with two other people. Now, there are, now it's a thing in Pittsburgh. They're all pissed off that black people, not enough black reporters, are covering the black riots. You know, if everybody's got to get their story straight, right? Rogan and other people are going, hey, I saw a lot of white people out there. No, what you saw was white people in the street. You didn't see white people in any significant numbers going into the stores and carrying out the sneakers and the jackets and the jewelry and the weaves, you, you know, you didn't see that. You saw what you wanted to see. You saw what you imagined you saw. White people do it too, Colin. No, white people are not doing it too. Even though, in a way, maybe in a way they're kind of right. Because if you're out there providing cover for the fellas while they commit acts of crime and violence, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you're part of it. So maybe they have a point after all. But don't try to tell me that that it wasn't a significant number of fellas carrying tennis boxes of tennis shoes by the dozen out with their arms full. We got people, we got newspapers all over the country reordering their coverage, refocusing re- their, their attention, sh- juggling their staff so everybody can be, be intellectually pure when they start supporting and writing about the greatest lie of our generation, the hoax of black black victimization of white racism. I heard something on CNN this morning that a lot of people are passing around. It's, you know, it's kind of unusual to hear it from CNN. It came from Allison Camerata. Does anybody remember Allison when she was one of the hosts on Fox and Friends? Boy, I thought she was really fantastic there. She was friendly and funny, and I really kind of went out, I watched that show when she was on there. Then she went over to CNN, and she became a different person, a better person. Anyways, totally down with the cause. Anyway, there's Allison Camerata talking. Here's Allison Camerata talking to the president of the Minneapolis City Council about defunding the police department, why it has to happen. And by the way, isn't that going to have some really weird and dangerous consequences? 
No, it turns out that's a big misconception. You know, there's lessons from all over the country, all over the world that we're looking to um, to take immediate steps while we work toward building the systems that we would need to imagine that that future. Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. Look, if I have to sit here and give you a long song and dance about why we need police in these cities, And what a psycho that woman is we just heard from. Well, nothing I can say is going to be able to educate you at this point in your life, unless you're like two years old. But it's remarkable to see that that is not just some, it's not just some Minneapolis pothead they found at random. That's the president of the Minneapolis City Council saying they're going to disband their police department. They have a veto-proof majority to do it. And when they put it back together, they're saying it's not going to look anything like it does now. Listen, here's to me, here's one of the distinguishing features of being something called a conservative, is that we're willing to take responsibility for our own lives, our own actions, and we're also willing to let other people take responsibility for their lives, their actions. And we don't feel like we have to help everybody out out of every single jam in life because some people... They can't learn something until they go through a jam and come out of it. Then they decide they're not going to do it again. But the people who were constantly helping out of the same jam over and over again, they, they learn a different lesson. They learn a lesson that I can screw up all the time. Somebody's always going to be there to pull me out of my own mess. And so when I hear that the Minneapolis City Council is going to disband their police department and replace it with something no one ever has heard of before, of course it's going to be a disaster. But I'll also tell you something else. Of course, I want them to do it. I want the people in Minneapolis to take full responsibility for the idiots they've elected to be their mayor and city council. Oh yeah, I want to see you take full consequences for all these idiotic things your elected officials are saying in your name. And if you stick around that town while they're doing it, well, all I have to say is silence is violence. So yeah, go ahead, Minneapolis. Show us the way. Show us how we've been abusing the fellas and lovely ladies. Show us that with a little bit of love and tenderness and empathy, we can turn Minneapolis into some kind of mulatto, cream-colored Wakanda where everybody just gets along and where people don't do home invasions, where people don't go around doing drive-bys where large groups of black people don't go around assaulting white people during St. Patrick's Day parades, where large groups of black people don't roam the public transit system beating the crap out of people on the the platforms, in the trains, and on the way out of when when they're getting off their train. I mean, this defunding police thing, it's just another example of how we're in the middle of an episode of mass insanity in this country, the likes of which I don't think any of us have ever seen or heard of before. So let's keep fighting it. Let's keep exposing it. 
and let's even keep helping it along its way, like in places like Minneapolis, where we can challenge them. Yeah, go ahead. Show us what you're talking about. Show us this liberal Valhalla. Yeah, we'd love to see that. Oh, yeah, and don't come back to us a year from now saying it was somehow white supremacist conservative fault that your town is now what used to be one of the most beautiful cities in America is now some kind of hell hellhole for anarchists and fellas who think that breaking the that they think that laws are just suggestions and that violence is a legitimate life choice. Well, I'll tell you this: the cops are not quite as laissez-faire about this as good old Colin is. Yeah, so they're all they're all freaking, they're all panicking. Let me read you a letter from a cop. I was debating with one of my buddies, who was cool, by the way, on the left. He's a lefty, but he's a believer of all the myths that we all know about, mostly because he has no clue what really goes on. He was sympathetic to the police, but was repeating leftist tropes like, quote, you guys got to end the code of covering for a brother officer needlessly killing. Needless to say, I wrote him a long letter, how that never happens except only on CNN. Most cops go a whole career never even pulling their gun, much less killing someone. Countless millions of good arrests per year, per few bad arrests. We get no one condoned and people claim there is a code allowing this. I heard this in a recent one. Two officers were, were rookies in that incident in Minneapolis. That's not a code. That is following the lead of an experienced officer he was probably looking to learn from. As for the code, my buddy said this message I sent him helped him see the light. Here's what I told him. Well, you can imagine, as for the code, well, you can imagine you are given the task of performing a job where you are not allowed to walk away from a criminal. You have to bring them in. You are facing the dregs of society, the worst in man, low IQ, emotional maturity of a 12-year-old and 300 pounds of muscle. So as usual, they resist. And it's a battle, and your life is in jeopardy again. If this guy gets his hands on the weapon on your hip, you are dead. He's stronger than you, a better fighter than you. As usual, shit goes sideways. Things happen in seconds. You can't even see what everyone involved is doing. You don't even know everything you just did. Mid-battle, you yell to your buddy, getting his ass kicked. Hey, no bad cop shit, okay? We gotta end this code of needless killing. Sarcasm, I think. So finally exhausted, adrenaline pumping, shaking you, shaking, you end up kneeling on the guy too long, who minutes ago was tossing you around like a rag dial, trying his best to fight you. Yeah, they should have sat him up, but you or I weren't there. I don't know what or what went through, we don't know what or why went on. That's for a jury to decide in court. So one guy screwed up and the bad guy will sue you. We know he ain't on your side. Department's going to say, well, they trained you different, so they're going to hang you out to dry. The community thinks you are a bad cop, and good luck with that jury. And society never sees you fighting a war, holding back the horde from reaching them just two miles away while these leftist liberals are pushing baby strollers and paddleboarding and are turned against you with their white guilt voting in politicians that are ready to sacrifice police on the altar and let rioters and looters run wild. Wow, that was quite a sentence. And you realize you're completely alone for the act of saving these people who are not on your, not even on your side. 
They're going to spend hours going over every action you took with seconds to make a decision with a magnifying glass looking for errors to hang you with. But wait, they're the, they're the ones on your side. Your brother's doing the exact same thing. The guys who save your ass with theirs. Would you do this job? Hell no. You just want to say, hey, can you guys keep doing what you're doing over there, but this time with even less pay and less protection? Also, turn on your brothers and end the support of the only people who got your back. You know, the guy who saved your life like five minutes ago from the little darling thug we want to protect while we try to hang you every time for touching someone the wrong way, please. Thanks. I'm trying to enjoy my quiet time in the pool over here. Truth is, you already got what you want. No cop wants to get involved in this shit. They want to serve a community who appreciates them, not one wanting to fry them. They know they are toast if they hurt one of these little darlings on video. No one wants to be a bad cop. We had a regular economy of officers actually paying other officers to work the undesirable shit jobs for them. No cop wants to become the next social pariah they are in fear of, fear of it, and are pulling out. Yeah, we're seeing that right now all over the country. See, it's been happening kind of quietly. I mean, we've, done, we've done videos and podcasts on this. If you, if you look at the headlines from all over the country, you'll see police emergency. They can't recruit police. Lots and lots of places have more police leaving than they can replace. So they do what they did in Minneapolis, what they've been doing in Minneapolis for a long time. To get to be a cop, it actually, you actually have to, they're supposed to pass some standards, live up to some standards, mental, physical, and a background. Yeah, if you have really, really terrible credit, they don't want you on there because they think that might, make, that might make you, A, that questions your judgment, and B, that might make you susceptible to taking bribes. And if you were a drug user, well, they think that makes your judgment questionable too. But all that stuff now is being dropped from the background checks. Like show up with a warm body, reading and writing above a third grade level, and you too can be a member of the Minneapolis, Minneapolis's finest. And if you have trouble taking the test, we'll help you with that. Yeah, that's what it's like getting to be a cop these days. It's not the old... You know, many are called, few are chosen. It's the opposite now. They're really having trouble getting, hard time getting people to apply because the old cops are telling the people that want to take their place. It's like, listen, you don't want to be a cop in this city. I've got five more years to go. I'm going to stick around and take my retirement. But right now, if you walked on this force, you'd be, you'd be literally be working for people who hate you who want to see you go to jail, who think you are a murderer. That's what, the, that's what the mayor of L.A. called some cops the other day. Murderers. A lot of people are moving out of the cities and they're thinking about moving into these smaller cities. Well, the interesting thing about these smaller cities is a lot of big city cops are now working in the smaller cities. That's why some of these smaller cities are very, very safe. Now, this, these aren't boys that were driving around, you know, tractor trailers a few years ago no these are boys that have been patrolling some of the baddest streets in this country that got sick of it and said hey i'm going out there i'm going out to work for andy of mayberry andy griffith out in mayberry it's amazing how safe those places are meanwhile back in minneapolis the gang the police union back there they're they're, they're fighting kind of i would call it a rear guard action 
you know, when you when you retreat, you you give this is a mission nobody wants. Fight you you take the rear guard. We're we're going to retreat, so you're going to be essentially fighting as you know. We're, you're going to be in the front line as we go backwards. Very important, very dangerous, very fatal kind of duty. Anyway, here's a story from the New York Post. Minneapolis Police Union President posted a letter to remind them about George Floyd's death, saying, What is not being told is the violent criminal history of George Floyd. The media will not air this. The Daily Mail reported that Floyd spent five years behind bars for assault and robbery. He was convicted of other charges, ranging from theft with a firearm to drugs before that. Before that. The police chief, the head of the police officers' union, concluded his letter by vowing to work with four defense attorneys who are representing each of the four officers involved in Floyd's death. Wow, good for them. Uh, in the meantime, as you can imagine, people in people in Minneapolis are furious. I mean, that's that's it, right? I mean, nobody had to tell us they were furious because we know that people don't, you know, people have lost their reason now on the left. There is no reason. It's just fury. It's just rage. And that is supposed to intimidate us into silence. Got to say, looks like it's kind of working. Meanwhile, the craziness at CNN just keeps spreading like a virus. Just keeps spreading like one of those viruses that CDC was supposed to figure out was coming, but turned out they were sleeping on the job was on the way. Here we have a guy named Tim Wise. He's reminding parents in America that if black children cannot feel secure on their streets, the only solution to that is to tell white children and to set up a system of policing so that white children will not feel secure in their streets. I think the, the important thing for white parents to keep in the front of our mind is that if black children in this country are not allowed innocence and childhood without fear of being killed by police or marginalized in some other way, then our children don't deserve innocence. If Tamir Rice can be shot dead in a public park, playing with a toy gun, something white children do all over this country every day without the same fear of being shot. If Tamir Rice can be killed, then white children need to be told at least at the same age. If they can't be innocent, we don't get to be innocent. And if we would keep that in the front of our minds, then perhaps we would be able to hear what black and brown folks are telling us every day and have been for many years. Good Lord, where do they get these clowns? Oh, I think that was Tim Wise. He's made a living out of talking about how white people are racist for a couple of decades now. He's very popular on the college campuses. You know, he can he'll go he can do hundreds a year and not one person will be there to say, "Hey, you really got it wrong." But let Ann Coulter get within 100 miles of that same college campus. And there's a lot of people who say, "We must not let her speak." I understand why because it would be so easy to expose fools like this who are putting your children right in the firing line and taking some delight in it. You know what? There's so many... Let's just... Let's stay on cops for a minute. Cops are the... What it was... George, I think it was George Orwell who said, the reason we're able to sleep soundly in our beds at night is because of rough men willing to do violence in our behalf at night. And when they get hurt, we look the other way and pretend 
maybe they're bad cops or pretend that they were not acting in our behalf. Let's give a listen to this Philly story. And we are hearing from the fiance of a Philadelphia police officer who was critically injured when he was run over by a car during Saturday's looting. It was captured on video. CBS News lead national correspondent David Begno spoke with his fiance and the woman who shot cell phone video as it happened. And we do want to warn you, this video is difficult to watch. That officer is Antonio, Antonio Nieves. He's joining us now is his fiance. Her name is Marilyn Cordona. Marilyn, tell us what his injuries are. Um, he had a broken scapula. He had surgery to repair his humerus. Um, he also had 12 broken ribs, uh, multiple injuries, and also several cracked vertebrae, some in his neck and some in his lower back. Um, he is stable. Um, he was taken off the ventilator earlier today um, in excruciating pain. And what happened to Antonio was actually caught on camera uh, by a woman. It is hard to watch, so I want to warn you about that. We're coming up in groups now. All right, the cops just got here. The cops are here. This is insane. I have multiple videos, guys. Oh my god, they're getting arrested. They're getting out of the car. Here now is Nicole Collins. She recorded the video. I firmly believe in the right to protest the police brutality and systemic racism evident throughout this country. That being said, I believe it is important to share this video. I cannot claim to have an answer here, but I know this isn't it. Why did you feel the need to say all that before putting out the video? I did not want it to be me as a white girl videotaping black leaders. I wanted to share what was going on in the city of Philadelphia at the time. I intentionally waited until I had confirmation of the safety of the officer. He's a great person, great fiance, great father. He has three boys uh, yes. and the two of you are set to be married, correct? Correct. I mean, that's just one story. I think I heard this morning, I think I heard Rudy Giuliani and Bernard Carrick say that over 300 cops in New York have been hurt during these riots. I mean, peaceful protests. I mean, riots. Oh my God, they're not peaceful. They're not riots. They're peaceful protests. Only a few people got out of control and all those few people hurt those 300 cops in New York City. I think two cops have died in New York City. If, these, if this couple had their way, there would have been more. Did you see that couple? Both lawyers, high-powered, both from high-powered law schools, one Ivy League, a fella, and I think a woman may have been an immigrant from somewhere. She would identify definitely as a person of color. You see these two lawyers, they threw her, they were, they were giving away firebombs and throwing firebombs into police cars. Well, they caught her on video like an hour before it happened. Let's hear this woman who would be arrested within a few hours for, for firebombing a cop. Let's hear her explain what she was up to. Protest is a long time coming. I think that the mayor should have pulled their, his police department back the way that the mayor in Minneapolis did. I think the mayor should have done that because if he really cared about his police officers, he should have realized that it's not worth them getting hurt. This won't ever stop unless we take it all down. 
and that's why the anger is being expressed tonight in this way. It's understandable. People are angry because the police are never held accountable. This has got to stop. And the only way they hear they, the only way they hear us is through violence, through the means that they use. We've got to use the master's tools. That's what my friend always says. We've got to use the master's tools against the master. That's what my friend told me. Her friend was the guy she was arrested with, the black Ivy League affirmative action lawyer working at a high-priced law firm <laughs> by, by day, by night, helping people throw Molotov cocktails inside of police cars. Boy, it's just amazing. The fellas and lovely ladies are just not that into us. Why don't we go up to Rochester, New York? Just another white couple beaten by a crowd of fellas. And the black police chief said, oh, sorry about that. We're doing the best we can. ...to police that night that went unanswered. Today, we asked the police chief about that. I'm sure 911 calls came in uh, throughout that Saturday uh, as it was a very busy point in time uh, throughout the city during those uh, several hours that we were dealing with uh, what is, quite frankly, mayhem throughout the city. The chief told us he was unaware of unanswered calls. Police have said they're making progress in their search for the assailants in that attack and do say it's a priority case. If you look at your job as one where you're supposed to keep the rioters safe, the protesters safe, and if you look at your job as a place where people with white privilege are the ones really forcing all these black people to go out and burn and loot and hurt people in Rochester, then his explanation makes a lot of sense. They were not a priority for his police department, no matter what he says. See, your priorities, you don't really get to say what your priorities are. You just tell me what you've been doing. If you pay attention to this, if you do this, then that's a priority. If you don't, then it's not. Let's head down to Alabama, fella. Lovely lady. Killed a white cop. No big deal. New on the four St. Clair County authorities charge a Birmingham couple with capital murder in the death of a Moody police officer, Lieutenant Stephen Williams. The two suspects, 27-year-old Tapera Johnson and 28-year-old Markeisha Tyson, are both behind bars in the St. Clair County Jail right now. Alan Collins joins us live now with more on what officials are saying about this case today. Alan? And sort of to tell you, Janet, what they're not saying, because, you know, we're still not getting a lot of answers to these questions. We got those murder charges. We were expecting those murder charges to be filed. Well, we got that. But we have little other details as to what happened when Williams answered that disturbance call, a 911 call that sent him to that Super 8 motel. And when he died, ended up dying that Tuesday night. St. Clair authorities say they worked around the clock on the investigation. Still, Sheriff Billy Murray did not reveal much else about the case at this time. That this is a very ongoing, complex, and intense investigation. And we are by no means complete. St. Clair District Attorney Lyle Harmon says at this point, the only thing they can announce, the two people of interest who've been in custody since the shooting Tuesday night are now facing serious charges that could lead to the death penalty. Those charges are for capital murder, for intentionally causing the death of Star Sergeant Stephen Williams while he was on duty as a police officer for the city of Moody. 
people continue to put the flowers, balloons, and flags all around Sergeant Williams' patrol vehicle in front of the Moody Police Department. Chief Thomas Hunt, he knew he had a good officer when Williams was hired. Hunt says Williams, he wanted to stay on with the department until he made lieutenant. Friday, Hunt gave Williams his wish and promoted him. We're going to promote Sergeant Stephen Williams. So from this day forward, he is no longer Sergeant. We're going to start addressing him as Lieutenant Stephen Williams of the Moody Police Department. The people in Black Lives Matter, the people doing the rioting, the people doing the looting, and the people who support them, their credit, they're not, you know, they're not retreating. They're doubling down. They are now saying that silence is violence. And if any white people, if you're posting something on social media, if you're in a social situation and you're talking and you're not telling everybody about relentless black victimization or white racism, then you are part of the problem. Your silence is part of the problem. So now the fellas and lovely ladies are demanding that you and you and you and you and even good old Colin, they're demanding that we get out there and start talking to people. Morning, a friend of mine, you know, posted something without posting anything about uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's incredibly hurtful. It's incredibly hurtful, particularly to people that I considered friends. While I would otherwise love to read your favorite banana bread recipe, it is necessary for me to, to have people, especially influencers, especially celebrities, to acknowledge that pain. Like if you were standing in a fire, you're in pain, and you have someone who's sitting three feet away who's not on fire, who's refusing to acknowledge your pain, and is twirling around with banana bread, it's the same thing. If something extremely personal happens to you, I wouldn't be able to post about Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and then in the midst of that, I'm posting about things that are lighthearted and happy and completely unrelated. White silence is incredibly powerful. It's not neutral. It acts like a weapon. It's not even silent. Like it speaks volumes, right? And the people of color who are around a silent white person, um, they hear the silence and they feel what it means. Whenever I see someone who's not a person of color on social media who is not posting anything at all, it reads as either tone deaf or worse, being complicit. I'm watching who speaks out. And I'm not saying that you have to speak out and have this, you know, this whole spiel of Black Lives Matter. I'm not even necessarily saying I need you to post, but at the bare minimum, a friend would reach out to another friend. How are you doing during this time? I, I'll admit that I've been silent. I'll admit that I've ignored some of the issues that you face as a black person, but I want you to know that I'm your friend and I see you and I hear you. I am paying attention to friends that aren't doing that. I'm a new mother and this has been uh, particularly difficult and painful. I look at my son and I see Tamir Rice. I look at my son and I see Trayvon Martin. When I see people choosing, because they have the privilege to choose, to ignore our pain and our fear, and the fact that it feels like half the time we are screaming into a void, and that people are not listening because it makes them uncomfortable. When I see that, I want to show them a picture of my happy child and say, George Floyd was that child. Tamir Rice was that child. Etc. Etc. Brianna Taylor was that child. 
That is someone's child. And so the very least you can do is acknowledge the pain. The very least you can do is hear us. All the incidents we have had with Black people dying, there have been other officers, other white people standing at the side watching it happen. Why? Why couldn't they have just said, stop, man, stop? Why was that so hard? You know, one has to ask whether there isn't a certain amount of, of willful blindness that comes into play at certain times. So to say that white people, Asian people, young people, old people, gay people, straight people, Amish people, Eskimos, kitties, puppies, turtles, goldfish, ostriches, flamingos, what are the birds, peacocks, chiropractors and chickens to say all those groups of people are under attack from the fellas and lovely ladies now is an understatement they're not only attacking we're not only under attack from them they are they're kind of like not going to be happy until we until we admit that our that that we brought the violence upon ourselves and we have to like confess to our sins for causing the fellas and lovely ladies to do all this bad stuff to us absent that they're going to try to run us out of town, much like that editor from the New York Times was run out of the newsroom as if he had some as if somehow he had some kind of choice in it. Wow, that's why so many people are are so eager to figure out something to do, even if it's only going to be for a couple hours in the street somewhere. If it draws attention to this problem of black violence white victimization, black racism and white victimization, the greatest lie of our generation. If it draws attention to the victims of this tsunami of black violence, that's what we're doing here every day. That's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to expose this lie. Boy, I hope I can count on you for this little demonstration. We're going to have fun. We're going to change the world. And that guarantee you that's going to make a few black kids angry. Just another large cry spree Black mob violence everywhere Call the cops, but they don't care Listen, listen to Colin Flaherty Listen, listen to Colin Flaherty Westside Philly's back again Just another large cry spree Black mob violence everywhere Listen to Colin Flaherty Westside Philly's back again Just another large cry spree Black mob violence everywhere Call the cops, but they don't care